Minnesota 14. Hundley alone to the shotgun. Three receivers right, two to the left. Snap to Hundley. Rushes on, four-man rush. Steps up, throws it late. Over the left side. He's got Adams to the end zone. Touchdown! It's 8:37. This is Jeff Wagner. The show is Monday Morning Quarterbacks on News Radio 620 WTMJ. Vo- uh, joined by the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larravee. Wayne, that is not the clip. That is not the call that everybody is listening to <laughs> this morning. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, you know the uh, uh, the injury to Aaron Rodgers has changed a lot of things. Let's put it that way. Do you think it was a cheap shot? No. Okay. Nope. Uh, it's football play. And a linebacker, when a quarterback's out of the pocket, um, he goes after him full bore. And uh, if it was one of our guys making that hit, I'd say the same thing. I didn't think it was a dirty hit. Now, did he drive him into the That's ground? That's what I was going to ask you um, about, yeah. No, he, I actually thought, he, from the replay I saw, I actually thought he backed off a little bit in the end. I, you know, and Aaron took exception to it. Aaron kind of felt he probably could have uh, backed off, but... That's a legal play, and it's a football play. Obviously, this, as you were saying a minute ago, I mean, this completely and totally changes everything. The, the Packers go from having arguably the best player in the National Football League to now having to go with a, a quarterback who is trained but untested. What can we expect from the new quarterback? Well, you know, we're going to see. We're going to find out. Um, you know, when we've seen Brett Hundley in these preseason games, we've seen him a little bit with the starters, but the starters don't play a whole lot in preseason. And we've seen him with the uh, quote unquote, as Larry calls them, the shock troops. And you know, so it, it's it's um, a lot of chaos and that type of thing sometimes with the blocking schemes and everything else. I couldn't help but think yesterday that's what we saw from Brett Hundley. He was playing with a line that had three different uh, starters in there. I mean, guys like Justin McCray playing guard and then tackle, Lucas Patrick, Ulrich John. Um, do any of you know who any of those guys are? Do any of you know Ulrich John? I mean, you know, that kind of thing. And that's due to the injuries. That's what Brett was playing with yesterday, except that he was going up against, um, you know, a fire-breathing, full-fledged top-four defense in the NFL on the Minnesota Vikings in their defensive front. Uh, Wayne, before we talk specifically about the Packers' injuries, let's talk about injuries in general. Um, moving forward, if, if you look at the NFL, you've got Aaron Rodgers gone. T.J. Watt gone. The, the, the list just goes on and on. The running back out of Arizona injured. It seems like every week two or three or four of, of the major stars of teams are, are getting injured. Is there something the NFL can do to change that? Because, you know, we've talked about ratings and things before. If you keep losing the stars, sooner or later, don't people start to lose interest? Sure they do. And, and fans lose uh uh, lose heart in their teams. I mean, they've been waiting and looking forward to seeing uh, the Packers play with Aaron Rodgers. The Giants fan is, is you know, Odell, Odell Beckham, Beckham yeah. Jr. And, and, and uh, you know, the Houston is looking forward to a defense with Judevian Clowney and J.J. Watt, and now they're not getting it. Uh, Johnson, the running back out at uh, Arizona, top two running backs in the league, one of the top two running backs in the league, gone. And, you know, the quarterback, uh, Carr, probably will come back this year in Oakland, but he's gone right now. And Andrew, look who Luck, they are. Andrew Luck in Indianapolis hasn't played yet this year. Hasn't taken a snap yet. Yeah, yeah hasn't taken a snap. You know, Jeff, I, I, I don't know what the solution is. These athletes, we've talked about it, are bigger, faster, stronger. What does that mean? It means you can't 
train the way you used to. You can't get, you can't do the hitting in training camp that you need to prepare for a preseason game. You can't play your starters in preseason games very long to get ready for the regular season. There's a difference between conditioning and hitting condition and, and playing condition. And, and that's something that I see this league unable to do because if you do prepare a team the way, the way they used to prepare 30 years ago, you will blow up your team on the practice field. And then where are you? Well, let's talk a little bit about the Packers. Now, I, I, where, where I was watching the game yesterday, a number of people were very critical of, of the defense. Uh, again, not being able to get off the field, key penalties. At the same time, when, when we talk about injuries, the dominant story today is the injury to Aaron Rodgers. But, I mean, th- that defense was a shell of what we thought it was going to be as far as the players who were playing because of one injury after another. Especially in the secondary, Jeff. And they started without, uh, what, half of their secondary. Morgan Burnett, uh, Kevin King, their starters, out of the lineup uh, due to injury to start the ball game. And, and so later on, Kentrell Bryce goes out with an injury. Um, uh, Josh Hawkins, who started, comes in and out of the ball ballgame. Uh, they lose, uh, uh, you know, Quentin Rollins, who was playing a key role as a nickel back, as a uh, slot uh, cover corner uh, in that secondary. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, to be honest with you, Jeff, I thought they played pretty game out there I thought they hung in there pretty well but the problem has been with this defense and and again the injuries are a factor long drives take a look at certainly last week at Dallas the Cowboys in that fourth quarter nine minute drive 17 plays till the lead score but look at the second half yesterday the Vikings first two drives of the second half 12 plays Five minutes, 25 seconds time of possession, field goal. Um, 11 plays, 5 minutes, 16 seconds time of possession to another field goal. But no, what I'm, the, the, the theme here is exactly what you're talking about. Long drives, defense, part of defense is getting off the field. And that's been something that's been a struggle, and you understand it with the kind of injuries they've been dealing with. We're talking to Wayne Larrabee, the voice of the Green Bay Packers. The show is Monday Morning Quarterback. We're going to open up our phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Not a good day for Packer Nation. If you have questions or comments, and I'm sure lots of people do, for the voice of the Green Bay Packers, this is your opportunity. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with your calls in just a moment. Once again, the number, 414-799-1620. This is, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're joined, of course, by Wayne Larrabee, the voice of the Green Bay Packers. Out of the hole of Ryan Quigley. Kevin McDermott with the snap. Here it is, the placement. And the kick is to the uprights. And it is good. 23-10, Minnesota. It's 845. Jeff Wagner, Wayne Larrabee, the voice of the Green Bay Packers. The show is Monday Morning Quarterbacks. Wayne, before we go to the phones, what? I, I, this is another one of these general questions. What is up with the officials? I, I understand Coach McCarthy is out of challenges because he, he got one wrong, but there's that, that pass play in, the, I think it was the third quarter. The ball bounces. It, it literally gets to the Viking player on a hop. Everybody sees that, apparently, except the officials. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, Jeff, it's, it baffles me sometimes. Um, we see some games officiated really well, and other games they miss some obvious stuff. And, um, you know, that's, that's a classic case where the Packers did not have a challenge left. You're, uh, you're right. 
Uh, and the ball, I, when I saw it, again, the angle I have, and I can't comment too much on it when I'm doing the game because the angle I had was so bad to that field all day that I couldn't see it. It looked to me like it skipped in there. It looked like, at the very least, he trapped the ball, but I couldn't tell. And, and you know, replay is hit or miss in some of those situations. Yeah, that one, though, my friend, <laughs> that was like a ground ball to shortstop. He almost got it on the second bounce, I thought. Um, okay, let's go to the yeah. phone lines. So, yeah, I mean, but again, I'm, and again, in the, the Packers sideline is going nuts, and everybody's saying, well, of course that's incomplete, and I'm wondering, how can eight people on the field who right there miss it? But I guess it happens. Wayne, let's talk to Al in Milwaukee. Al, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I just have a quick question. You know, we have a, a, a new quarterback out there. Um, you know, we're only down by actually less than two touchdowns. They went into the locker room at the end of the game with two timeouts. Why didn't he, you know, why, why didn't they go and settle him down, call an extra play? They would, have, they would have had a little bit more time. And, you know, maybe they score a touchdown, get a quick uh, onside kick, two plays, another touchdown, and, you know, win the game. I know lightning strikes occasionally. Um, I, I just like your thoughts on that, Wayne. I don't know. Um, that, I'm not the coach. You're asking the wrong person about that. Um, you know, uh, I, I think the way the game was playing out with what they had out there, um, you know, uh, I, I you'd have to ask Mike McCarthy that. I'm not qualified to tell you what I, th- you know, what I think doesn't matter. Let's talk to Tom in Lisbon. Tom, you're at 620 WTMJ with Wayne Larrabee. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, what I think uh, with this quarterback situation, I'd like to see Brett Hundley uh, give it a shot. I don't want to see Colin Kaepernick in there. I have no use for this guy. Uh, he, with his stunts last year, and if nothing else, uh, the Callahan boy, let him back him up. But I have no use for Ka- Kaepernick. I know a lot of my friends don't either. We probably will turn him off if, he, if he's on that team. Well, yeah, well let, let's ask. I mean, that's the $64,000 question. Will the Packers be reaching out to Colin Kaepernick today, do you think? I don't believe so, no. I, I don't think so, no. You think they should? Um. Mm, not necessarily, no. I don't think Colin Kaepernick would solve any of the football problems right. they have without Aaron Rodgers. No. Right. Uh, Pete Doherty wrote a, uh, what I thought was a great column on you know what the Packers should bring in an out quarterback from the outside. Everybody wants to see them bring in a quarterback from the outside that will save the day. And the fact is that's not realistic thinking. Read the uh, article by Pete Doherty in the Journal Sentinel today. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the idea, I mean, McCarthy runs one of the most complicated systems in the NFL, right? And that you need, I mean, at least at least Hundley's been in the system for a couple years, and they think he's talented. So I guess the thinking would be, why not give him a chance to see what he could do? Absolutely, uh, Jeff. That's a big factor. And, you know, people, you know, Gene asked me a good question. You know, hey, Zeke Bradkowski used to come in on the spot for Bart Starr and, and run the offense, and it was seamless. And that's true. But offense today and football today is a lot more complicated than it was back in the 60s, and it takes uh, a time in a system to get up to speed. Rarely does a player at any position, but especially quarterback, go from one team to another in the middle of a season and make an impact. Now, you're saying, well, what about Adrian Peterson? Running back's a little bit different. See the hole, run through the hole. That's about all there is to it, okay? But the other positions, and quarterback especially, you can't just bring somebody in off the street. Remember when Matt Flynn saved the day in 2013? Matt Flynn had a lot of time in that offense beforehand. Right, plus you need, 
in, in McCarthy's system, am I right that you need a certain type of quarterback with a certain type of arm, arm strength and something? And, and you know, when, when they've tried predominantly run-first quarterbacks, it hasn't necessarily worked out that very well. Yeah, well, it's hard It's hard to get the Aaron Rodgers prototype. But, right. you know, Brett Hundley does a lot of what Rodgers does. He's mimicked him for three years now, and it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes from here. I'm not as much worried about, um, you know, Brett Hundley as I am about the people he's going to have around him. Uh, what is he going to have on the offensive line? Uh, clearly, uh, you know, that wasn't even close to what they need to have on the field yesterday. We um, the, the other part of, of your call with Brett with um, with Aaron Rodgers get, getting injured was the pass to the tight end Martellus Bennett who who once again dropped another ball. Um, how big a problem is that becoming? Well, I mean, um, it's a factor. There's no question about that. Uh, you know, the uh, he has kind of struggled to fit into this offense a little bit, and I think the quarterbacks are, are kind of you know wondering where is he going to be? Is he running the right route? That kind of thing. Um, he's a good blocking tight end. Um, and he's dropped a few balls this year. There's no question about that. And um, they've been, you know, some of the drops you, you look at and you say, oh, my gosh, that's an easy catch. The one that Aaron threw uh, would have been a first down into Minnesota territory on the uh, play where Aaron was injured, and that was just a flat-out drop. I know it happens to everybody, but I, if I'm not mistaken, this is close to five or six on the season thus far for uh, Martellus, and that's very surprising for a player of that caliber. Obviously, with the departure and the injury to Rodgers, you would expect that they're going to come out with more dependence than they've had in the past in the running game. At least that's what you, you would think. Um, can can that succeed behind the sort of makeshift offensive line? I mean, can they rely more on the run? Is that a realistic thing? I think so, but um, again, that's a little bit that changes the offense in your philosophy. Uh, the Packers have always been under Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers and even Brett Favre. Uh, they're a team that's going to win through the air. They're going to pass the football. Um, but I think there will be more of an emphasis on the running game. Uh, you saw it in the Bears game when they had all those injuries on the offensive line. They played four guards and a center, and they came out running the football, and it got those guys into more of a rhythm. It's easier for an offensive lineman to run block than it is to pass block. At least that's what I've been told. And so, you know, I think you could see that happen. But, again, um, is the line going to be good enough to open the holes for the running backs to go through? Or will we next Monday be saying, boy, the Packers don't have any running backs? Well, maybe the running backs didn't have any holes to run through. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Then let's take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll take some more calls and look ahead. It's 8.53. I'm Jeff Wagner, joined by Wayne Larrabee, the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Monday morning quarterback. Wayne, this is not good. The Packers are reporting Aaron Rodgers suffered a broken collarbone and may, in capital letters, miss the rest of the season. Wow. <laughs> it's the Monday morning quarterback, Jeff Wagner, Wayne Larravee. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Wayne, let's uh, let's talk quickly to Clinton in Milwaukee. Clinton, good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Good. What do you think? What's your question? Yeah, you know, my question that I would have is, what are your thoughts on potentially trying to regain case on Hill? Um, Jason Hill, in my opinion, was performing statistically better during our preseason. He looked phenomenal. He was able to run the ball. He was able to, in my personal opinion, outperform uh, Matt Hunley. Wayne? Uh, you mean Brett Hunley? Yeah. I Joe Callahan? Okay. Right. All right. Taysom Hill is uh, the third-string quarterback right now for the New Orleans Saints. I don't think the Saints are going to help the Packers. Do you this week? Right. Yeah. Well, plus they'd have to trade for him anyways, right? 
I mean, he's not on the. It's yeah. not like signing him off the practice squad. He's he's on that team. Exactly. They'd have to trade. Yeah, he's so. on the team. Exactly. Yeah, not so, going to happen. Right. So I mean, Joe Callahan is going to be the number two quarterback, and that's where they stand right now, right? Well, that's it. You got it. That's the quarterback tree at the moment. <laughs> oh, okay, let's let, let's look ahead to New Orleans. Um, strengths and weaknesses, obviously, Drew Brees. Um, they, they bring a high-powered offense to Lambeau Field. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, and it'll be interesting to see what they have defensively. You know, they've been better defensively, and then they gave up a, a lot of points to Detroit in a comeback mode yesterday. The Lions almost caught them uh, after the uh, Saints had opened up a big lead. But this is a... Very good offense. The thing about this offense, though, it's they're real good at home and not as good on the road. Defensively, they're better than they've been the last couple of years, and that's what worries me more than anything else. It will be an interesting week in practice. And again, when we don't know a lot about the injuries. I mean, still up in the air as to whether how, how bad Balaga was hurt, whether Bakhtiari's hamstring comes around, what the nature of the, the injury was to Lane Taylor. A lot of, lot of stuff. Uh, very up in the air with the Packers right now, right? Yeah, you know, in addition to Aaron Rodgers, you're exactly right. Who will come back and play in the defensive secondary? Boy, you need all hands on deck there in a game against Drew Brees. And, but the offensive line's a big concern. You, you hope Bakhtiari's hamstring injury doesn't become a chronic situation. Um, but, boy, it's been bothering him all year. And then uh, Brian Bulaga with a concussion, you just don't know until you get into the week how that's going to pan out. And Lane Taylor, I think he's been the most consistent Packers offensive lineman this year, Jeff. And um, he got rolled up pretty well. I, I don't know what his status will be going forward. Wayne, hopefully a more pleasant conversation next Monday morning. <laughs> Boy, that would be welcome, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it it will always be. But I guess the lesson, the message to Packer fans: don't give up hope, right? I mean, it's I mean, it's still a talented team. You you know, obviously losing Aaron Rodgers is a blow, but they can still win football games, right? Oh yeah, there's yeah. no question about that. You can win football games, and uh, they'll they'll put their mind to it. Hey, they're going to show up, folks. Uh, hopefully you will, too, but the Packers are going to show up, and they're going to play ready to win. So uh, whether it happens or not, we'll see, but that's why you play the games. I look at the Giants down eight starters going into Denver yesterday, uh, last night, and beating the uh, Broncos in Denver. Uh, winless Giants. I look at Pittsburgh one week. They get blown out at home by Jacksonville. Big Ben throws five interceptions. They go to Arrowhead and defeat uh, undefeated Kansas City uh, last week. And then you've got Jacksonville. I mean, they're at home to the Rams. Uh, they coming off a big victory over the Steelers, and they get knocked off by the Rams. And Atlanta loses again at home. The best team in the NFC loses again at home. This is amazing when you see what's going on in the NFL. <laughs> Wayne Larrabee, the voice of the Green Bay Packers. We'll talk to you next week, my friend. Take care. All right. Have a good one. All right. Uh, we've got the program coming up, starting with three big things. And, and by the way, um, we continue with the biggest thing is a conversation from the world of sports. Stick around. It's 9.09. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. We start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things. You know, I'm looking at these pictures of NFL stadiums uh, just just kind of all across the board yesterday. And thousands and thousands of fans are either not buying tickets or if they're buying tickets, they're, they're coming dressed as empty seats. In other words, they are staying home. I mean, there's some dramatic stuff out there. Uh, the New York New York Jets played New England at home. Um, you, you look at the stands now, again. I don't I don't know what the I don't know what the announced attendance is going to be because maybe it's you know they count the people that buy tickets. But I mean huge gaps in the stands. Uh, Houston Texans, Atlanta, Baltimore. 
Jacksonville. Jacksonville's always been a problem. But, I mean, these stadiums, Jacksonville, it's half empty. Um, and just huge numbers of empty seats all over. Now, I think there's a number of things going on. I do believe the, the protests are turning off some people. But as Wayne and I were talking about earlier, I, I think part of the thing, too, and I, I don't know what the answer to this is, is that, you know, the, the massive injuries that, that are going on. I mean, let's face it. If, even if you're a fan of a team, you you, you want to see the stars play. And you, you have a vision, hey, this is, this is my team, and, and these are going to be the players. And when those star players, week after week, go down to injury and are, are lost for the year, whether it's a T.J. Watt, whether it's an Odell Beckham, whether it's an Aaron Rodgers, I think what happens is... First of all, across the league, the casual fans say, I don't, I don't, what do I care about the Packers? I mean, I want to watch Aaron Rodgers play because the guy's arguably the best player in the league. He's not going to play. Well, who cares? Odell Beckham, arguably the best receiver in the league. He's out. T.J. Watt, you know, this incredibly charismatic, arguably the best defensive player in the league. And I don't have an answer to it, but I, I do think one of the many factors that's leading to the decline in attendance and the drop in TV ratings are, are the fact that you have, you know, on any given week, one, two, three of the superstars, the people that you know, you folks pay money to see who are, are just getting injured and who are out. Well, anyways, big story number one is, of course, a story involving the injury to Aaron Rodgers. It's the conversation that you hope you never have to have. I, I always kid around um, that in, in many respects, everything we all do in the news industry is really just kind of filler for for bad weather in the Green Bay Pack and the Green Bay Packers because I mean you know Packers Nation especially in Wisconsin it is as close to a religion as, as you get and in that second series when Aaron Rodgers went out and was carted off you just heard this collective gasp all across Packer Nation all Packer fans across the world and then the announcement comes he's broken his collarbone his right collarbone which is of course the throwing shoulder and, uh, you know, who knows how quickly he can come back, but two months at best, probably out until next season. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have been listening to all the national commentators ad nauseum since this happened. The general consensus is just turn out the lights. The party's over when it comes to the Green Bay Packers. They have gone from a legitimate Super Bowl contender to a team that may or may not even limp into the playoffs. I don't buy that. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Is it time to just stick a fork in the Packers' 2017 season? Or is there reason to believe that, well, maybe maybe they can surprise us? Now, are they going to be the same team as they were without Aaron, as they, without Aaron Rodgers as they were with him? Of course not. But does that mean it's time to just pack up the tent and figure, all right, they're 4-2 and two now. They'll be lucky to win two or three games. They do play the Cleveland Browns, but other than that, are they destined to lose every game? I am not that much of a pessimist. I will explain why, but how do you feel? 414-799-1620. Let's talk about the Aaron Rodgers injury, because um, I know that's what everybody is talking about this morning. It's 914. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 917. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And yes, I misspoke. It's J.J. Watt who's out for the season, not his younger brother, T.J. Watt. Okay. 
Um, let's see. Ron sends me texts. Woe are the Packers injury riddled roster. They will finish six and ten at best. Uh, at best, they are four and two now. So that means he thinks they're going to only win two of their remaining ten games. All things must come to an end as far as the playoff run goes. Now we know what at least twenty NFL cities feel like not having much chance. Um, Kyle texts, my major concern is that Aaron Rodgers and the high-powered offense tended to overcompensate for some of the weaknesses in the defense by simply scoring more than the opposing team did. If that high-powered offense can keep its momentum, we will be okay. The mission now is simply to get to the playoffs and hope that Aaron is better by then. 414-799-1620, Val in Milwaukee. Val, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. You know, these guys are paid professionals. If they throw in the towel, I'm not going to be very happy. I expect them when the growing gets tough, the tough gets going. Mm-hmm. Um, do you and, think they've got? Uh, I do think we have a playoff chance if this, if these guys really look at this as an oppor- as a career opportunity of a lifetime. Well, but, y- yeah, I mean, well, they've got ten games left. They've already won four. So let's say if they can win six out of the remaining ten, go six and four. I mean, they're going to win ten games. That probably gets them into the playoffs. So you're right. I mean, it's just a question of of stepping up and making the plays and getting it done. Right, but I will mention that something has got to be done with the conditioning department of this team. Mm-hmm. The fact that all of our starters are injured in four or five games, that's atrocious, and it's not acceptable. Well, right, so, and, right, and th- thanks for the call. And, what's, well, and that's an, that would be an interesting question to ask somebody because in, in some cases it's because of the contact. Okay, Aaron Rodgers gets hit. Um, the guy drives him into the ground. He breaks his shoulder. But a lot of the guys that are out, it's with muscle pulls and muscle strains, and we've hurt a hamstring and things like that. And that that's, I mean, it's one thing if somebody falls on your leg and, you know, you, you break your ankle or, you know, you pull ligaments in your knee. You do wonder about the hamstrings and the muscle pulls and things like that. Is that something that could be avoided? But, again, I'm not a sports medicine guy. 414-799-1620. Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Thanks Steve. for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I, I'm not ready to give up hope, but it's on your screener. I had to turn off Mike and Mike this morning because, you know, basically Rodgers is gone. They've gone from winning the Super Bowl to why even bother to play. Right. <laughs> and, and I think that's crazy. I think they still have a lot of talent. Now, obviously, there's no one like Aaron Rodgers, but you right. got Hunley, who I think is a good backup. you got a bye coming up. you got some weeks to shop around and. You know, I, if I were to go after anybody, I think if you know to look at maybe Tony Roma. I mean, he hasn't been yeah. hung it up that long ago, and he's still a pretty good quarterback. I well, certainly would not go after Kaepernick. I right. saw the season ticket that that happened. Well, but I mean, let, let's look at the team. I mean, obviously, you know, you need to get some of these injured players back. I mean, going with the makeshift offensive line is going to be a problem. All the injuries in the defensive backfield is a problem, but. I mean, you still got Devontae Evans. You still got Randall Cobb. You still have um, Jordy Nelson. Right, exactly. I mean, you've got some world-class players that can make plays, and you've got a quarterback that nobody's really even seen. Is he Aaron Rodgers? No, but at least he's worked in the system for a few years, and everybody seems to think that this guy's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL sometime in the future. Well, now's his chance to play for a big contract and show that he can really be that guy. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't look at what happened yesterday. You know, how many snaps did he have? He came in cold. You know, now that he's got a week to prepare with the first team and get a lot of snaps, you know, 
none of right. us would be in a very good position to win when you're thrown in off the bench like that. So, so I'm you, more it, concerned about the offensive line and the, the defensive right. backfield. Okay, so if let, let's assume for the sake of argument that you're going to need 10 wins to get into the playoffs, just for the sake of argument, can they go 6-4? and four? Think that's yeah. a realistic thing? Yes, I, I certainly do. I, I, think, so I, do, I, I do, too. Are the games going to be closer? Are they going to be more hard fought? Yes. Are they going to have to to step up? And I mean, I lost lost with the injuries yesterday was the fact that the, the defense, in my opinion, played atrociously. Just played atrociously yet again. But part of that is half the team it seems like is out. You know, when you when you're playing without your starting safety and arguably best player and your two starting quarterback cornerbacks. Now, at some point in time, that ends up catching up to you. Um, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Chris in Lodi. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, when when this happened and all this talk started on Facebook and on the news and all this, it brought me back to uh, when Don Mikowski got hurt. <laughs> and a little man Favre came in. <laughs> no one knew really who he was or what he was going to be. And uh, we thought, I thought, oh my God, no, no, uh, we, you know, we got a good quarterback, and we got to start all over. And not that Hudley's going to be the next far, but at right. least give him a chance, you know. Yeah, it, well, exactly. I mean, and they still they have a talented team. Aaron Rodgers made a talented team a Super Bowl, you know, potentially favorite. We can't expect that from Hundley. But at the same time, that that's, that team, that nucleus of the team is still around. I mean, I think people who are saying, and, and maybe uh, maybe we'll all be eating our words, you know, two and a half months from now. But the, the same people who are saying, oh, they'll be lucky to win one or two more games. I, I don't I don't buy it. I just think the team is too talented um, to, to, you know, go into the tank like that. Will there be more of a struggle? Of course. You take away the best player, that's going to happen. But I'm, I'm not willing to give up on this team. I, I totally agree. And uh, how long did uh, Rodgers sit on the bench and watch the Packers and uh, and learn the system? And yeah. he's been around three years, Rodgers as well. So right. not that he's going to next Rodgers, but right. give him a chance. Right. Now, thanks for calling. And, and they talk about the guy having arm strength. I mean, that's that's one of the things. Every And I'm, I'm glad Wayne was bringing up this point. Look, and I'm, I'm not a football guy. I'm just a fan. I watch the stuff. But, I mean, everything I've always read is different quarterbacks have different skills for different systems. And, and you need to play in McCarthy's system, you need certain things. You, you need to have a really strong arm. You need to know the intricacies of the system. Hundley's been there for a couple years now, and they say he's got a really strong arm. This idea that you can just go find somebody and bring somebody up off of the street. You know, for, forget about the politics uh, of Colin Kaepernick. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in his lawsuit or his claim against the NFL. But, I mean, here was a guy who was predominantly a running quarterback um, that didn't have a particularly strong arm. Well, okay, does that does that even work in McCarthy's system? Even if you could somehow come in and try to teach him the system. Now, I I say play the hand you have for a while. Rob in Brookfield. Rob, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, I think that uh, the Packers do certainly still have a shot at this, as you kind of mentioned. That as long as we get a healthy team back, besides Rodgers, I think we've got a shot there. You know, I think uh, Hundley got tossed really tossed into a very difficult situation. It was a team that was already decimated by tons of injuries. Yep. And for for us to expect him to come in and do what Rodgers would do is highly unlikely, right? Yeah, right. Um, I think there were a lot of positives and negatives out of the game yesterday from him. You know, certainly three picks was nothing that uh, anybody would want to see. However, one thing that I did like was, 
being when uh, when he threw the toss, the, the touchdown toss to Adams, that he had the ability to scramble right there. And yep. you know what? He he put his thinking cap on and saw Adams at the last second and got a touchdown instead of maybe just a first down. So I think yeah. there's some positives that we can certainly come away with out of this. Yeah. I, now, now, clearly, I, I think other people are going to step up, have to step up their game. Aaron Rodgers was such a special player that he, I think he elevated, he made everybody around him look better because of some of the things he could do and some of the throws he made. So, I mean, I think collectively everybody says, hey, we're, everybody has to say, hey, we, we've got to play better. The, these drops are, are unacceptable. You know, the new Butterfinger tight end, you know, you can't keep dropping the ball. You've got to make those plays because Rodgers isn't going to be able to bail you out. But if everybody collectively comes together and says, okay, we have to raise our game a notch or two are, are, are you know are they going to be overwhelming favorites like they might have been um with Aaron Rodgers no but but I mean I'm still going to be watching the games I think they've got a chance I think there's a lot of teams out there that wish they still had the capabilities that the Packers have regardless yeah. of quarterback position yeah no I mean th- so that, that's where yeah that's where I think that the Packers still have a serious shot of not only getting to the playoffs, but then, you know, hopefully Rodgers would make it back to the playoffs. And if not, hey, what the hell, let's see where it goes. Well, it's, it, exactly. You kind of you, you kind of ride it. So I guess this is my – that's sort of my message as well. And I, I understand, and I'm a part of Packer Nation, believe me. And it's it's kind of like you wake up this morning and you go, oh, my gosh, is it really true? And, I mean, it, it's the news is about as bad as possible. They go out to Minnesota. They, they end up losing the game. But at the same time – you lose Aaron Rodgers, and I, you know who knows. Maybe again, maybe some of the naysayers, and I'm getting all these texts from people saying, "Oh, this season's over. Turn out the lights. The party's over." And maybe it'll turn out to be right. But I, I mean, they've already won four games, so you're four and two. Let's say you need to win ten for the sake of argument. Six and four. Uh, you know, the games aren't going to be aren't going to be gimmies. But um, if they show up and play, you could easily – I think that that's a doable sort of number. Um, it's going to be a test of the coaching staff, though. That's it. This is – you know, there's a lot of people who've said, okay, well, you know, Mike McCarthy, um, he's got this great record, but he's got it because of if, – if you give, you know, any coach, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, you know, they're going to be able to win games. Well, okay, now I think it is a test of Mike McCarthy and the game plan. they got to get people healthy, but – I'm still going to be listening to the games. It's 927. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, literally, literally, this is not figuratively. This is literally. Only a few tickets remain for this year's WTMJ holiday radio show to benefit Kids to Kids Christmas. Coming up on November 27th at Turner Hall in Milwaukee, you can hear the story of how WTMJ, that's us, saves Christmas. And you can see all your favorite voices on stage as part of our live studio audience. And again, this isn't by before midnight, really. Only a handful of tickets remain Go to papstheater.org today to get yours before they're all gone. They're 25 bucks. A portion goes to Kids to Kids Christmas. And once they are gone, they are gone. And I know everybody that's come has had a great time the last couple years. We have a great time doing it. So do not get shut out. And we say that when we say they're sold out, we mean they're sold out. So you can't call me up a couple weeks before the show and say, I've decided I want to go. I know you've got access to more. No, that's not the way it works. So please, please, only a handful of tickets remain. Go to papstheater.org today to get yours. It's 936, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There's plenty of analysis to be found today after the Packers-Vikings match up on Sunday. But after watching the film, 
What does Mike McCarthy think of his team's performance? Hear from the coach at 4.50 today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Other than, I wish somebody would have blocked that guy so he didn't get a clean shot on Aaron Rodgers. Now, it'll be very, very interesting. All right. Big story number two. When will enough be enough? Now, I, I want to confess, a couple of years ago, we started having this car theft epidemic around here to the point that the police kept saying in the winter, you cannot leave your car running and unattended in your driveway for any length of time because literally it will be gone in 60 seconds. And and I remember at the time saying, that's crazy. You mean to tell me that crime has gotten so out of control around here that when it's five degrees below zero, you can't warm up your car without it being stolen. But the truth is, you cannot do that because there are roving bands of thieves that just drive through neighborhoods all around here looking for that unattended car that they can steal. Now, the car, I mean, we've seen with the rise of carjackings that it doesn't matter whether the car is attended or unattended. People are are out there, they are stealing cars, lots of juveniles that are stealing cars and, and getting away with it. And the criminals are becoming bolder. And what we're seeing is a problem that was originally confined to the city of Milwaukee is is now spreading into surrounding counties. Here's the story, and this th- this one caught my attention. This story, and you could do a story like this almost every day, but this was on on Channel Six, Fox Six News, the other night. Okay, here's the deal: a Menominee Falls victim, a Menominee Falls family, fell victim to a crime, with thieves targeting them as they ate dinner just a few feet. Away. Um, apparently, what happened is the family is at home last week. They are in their kitchen. They are sitting at their kitchen table. They are eating dinner. The garage, their garage, is right next to the, the kitchen. It's one of these things where you, you know, you walk into the garage. There's a door from the garage that goes into the kitchen. You walk into the kitchen. You walk into the into the house and the kitchen is there they are literally just a few feet away from the garage so what happens is they come home they're eating dinner they're in the kitchen and they have left the garage door open now this isn't the garage door open overnight it's one of those where i don't know you pull into the garage and for whatever reason maybe you're you know car you know bringing bags of groceries in i don't know but for whatever reason they didn't put down the garage door so this is up their driveway the car is in the garage it's not overnight so what happens is the the, the husband the, the man says okay we we ate dinner all right the the family car was in the garage lights were on the door was open garage door is open we're eating dinner all right I come outside about 8 o'clock to take the garbage out to the garbage can, and the car isn't there. I say to my wife, honey, where's the car? She says, it's in the garage. I say, "Uh, no, I'm in the garage, and and it's not. Um, And then what he does is he he notices that his car, which is a two-car garage, his car been broken into and things have been stolen, and her car has been stolen out of the garage. This is in Menominee Falls, 
early evening as the family sits next door to the garage and, and eats. It's attached garage, right? All right. Um, the man says the family is bothered by the bold criminals. It's really been stressful on us as a family. You don't know where you're safe anymore. And they're like, they're angry, they're frustrated, um, and they're just getting the message out that crime is so out of control. Now, this is Menominee Falls. Crime is so out of control in Menominee Falls that the thieves, the punks, the thugs are coming up. They are going into people's garages at 6 o'clock at night when the garage door is open, and they are stealing cars as the family sits a few feet away and, and has dinner. Um, so, you know, Menominee Falls, the police department's posted signs reminding people to remain vigilant. Lock your car and remove your valuables, even when the car is apparently parked in your own garage. Now, I guess I have a couple points on this. Number one, uh, it is a sad, I'm not going to criticize the police department for taking this position because it, obviously crime, crime in southeastern Wisconsin especially when it comes to car thefts, is so very out of control that apparently this is what you have to do. Because if you leave your car in your driveway, if you leave your car in your garage, but there's access to it, like heaven forbid, you should forget to put the garage door down, that car is going to be gone in 60 seconds because there's people out there looking to steal it. So, I mean, I, I guess I have no problem with the message Lock the. Make sure you always put that garage door down. Make sure that I guess I don't know. You you lock the car to make it a little bit more difficult to do it. So I mean I guess that's good advice, but that's not the bigger point. The bigger point is, pardon my French, what the hell is going on? I mean, have we really gotten to this point? Now I happen to think, and, and maybe I'm the only one around here, but I happen to think car theft is a really, really, really big deal. You know, you're talking about vehicles that are worth, in some cases, tens of thousands of dollars. In some cases, you're talking about the, the family vehicle, which is, you know, the only way that you know dad or mom or whatever get to work. An incredible inconvenience if that car is stolen. Not to mention the, the whole idea of you know violation that goes along with it. Here's, here's what I think needs to happen. Historically, the criminal justice system does not view car theft as a big deal. Um, if car theft isn't a – now, you stick a gun in somebody's face in a carjacking, and that will get the attention even of some Milwaukee County judges that pretty much turn a blind eye to, to mo- many types of crimes. But if you do the, the thing with force – that will get their attention. But just rank and file car theft, stealing the car off the street, going into somebody's unattended garage and taking the car out of it. Historically, that has not been viewed as a big deal by the criminal justice system to the point where in Milwaukee County, at least, if it's a juvenile, there's no way that they're going to even try to wave a juvenile into adult court, even if that punk has stolen 10 or 15 or 20 cars. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's where I think it needs to start. I think it is time to say enough is enough. And I think it is time for the legislature. you got to get the legislature involved because, trust me, the judges, particularly in Milwaukee County, aren't going to do this. They're not going to do this on their own. But I think it is time to say car theft is a big deal. 
stealing somebody's $30,000 car that they just bought, or I don't care, their $8,000 car that they need to get back and forth to work. I don't care what the value is. It is time, I think, to say, you steal a car, you go to prison. If you're an adult, mandatory minimum penalties, I think of at least three years for stealing a car. Crime of violence, I'd put it up, you know, then then you're talking five or ten years. But you steal a car, you are going to prison. If you are a juvenile and you steal a car, I think mandatory, you get sent to detention, and at least, let's get you off the street, and, and if you've done it more than once, then we start talking about mandatory waving you into adult court. What we're doing now doesn't work. And I think the only way to get the message out is to start increasing the penalties with guaranteed penalties. And you know what? If that means we got to build more prisons, so be it. At this point in time, it's time to start protecting the general public. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I'm just frustrated. Car theft does not seem to be treated as a big deal by the court system for either adults or particularly juveniles. If you've had your car stolen, my guess is you would beg to differ. And I talk to people in the automobile industry. They're talking about how frustrating this is, particularly with the juveniles who are out there stealing cars. They get caught and they're back out on the streets in three or four hours. And three days later, they're stealing more cars The police just throw up their hands. Maybe it's time for us, that is us, the community, to start putting pressure on our legislators to say enough is enough. Car theft is a big deal. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is big story number two. They were eating dinner with the garage door open and punk stole the car out of the garage. It's 946. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 948, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I, I literally wonder when enough is going to be enough. And I saw this story on, on Fox 6 the other night. Family in Menominee Falls. They, they've, heaven forbid, I, I think it's the, the lady of the house, she leaves the garage door open, comes home, parks the car, probably, I don't know, grocery bags, suitcase, briefcase, whatever, leaves the garage door open. They're sitting in, it's an attached garage. They're sitting uh, with just, really just a few feet away. They're in the kitchen, and sometime between like 6 and 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night, thugs go up, they steal the car out of the garage as the family's a few feet away. At what point in time are we going to say enough is enough? And I think it's way past time. The judges won't put these people in prison. In Milwaukee County, they'll let you steal 5, 10, 15 cars if you're a juvenile, and they won't even think about treating you as an adult, it's time to say enough is enough. Paul in Milwaukee. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, this is Paul. I was, I was just telling the person mm-hmm. that answered the phone about three weeks ago on September 25th. My wife was leaving, and this is about 6 or 6.15 in the evening, so it's broad daylight. She was leaving the Walgreens store on 91st and Appleton. Okay. And she's walking toward her car, and I just hit the button on the key to unlock the front door, and some young gal, which she obviously did not see, came up behind her, knocked her to the ground, dragged her all around on the ground, her arm, her shoulder and arm was broken in three places and so on. Mm-hmm. Now, the, now, the hearing for this young gal is tomorrow, and then a trial for later in the month, depending upon how the hearing goes. But, but you know, I don't know where enough is enough, and I'm... 
this gal has a record. She turned out to be a 14-year-old juvenile delinquent, obviously. Right. And, you know, okay, I, so this this woman that attacked your wife was 14 years old with a prior record? Yes. Okay. Yes, I, I don't know what her prior record right, right. is. No, because we protect juveniles. Because oh, we, yeah. we 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 don't want the general public to know how dangerous these people are. So we protect the juveniles, and then we turn them loose to go out and assault people like your wife. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to this young woman, and you know, hopefully she'll get have to serve some time, yeah. you know, or whatever. Uh, at least till she's like eighteen years old, and then hopefully get some help. To right. straighten out her damn life. Well, well, right, but the problem is, Paul. I mean, what's yeah. most likely to happen, and what's apparently happened with this this girl in the in the past, is she's just been turned loose, and so yeah. she, she, you know, you commit crimes, you're turned loose. You know, thanks for calling it, and then then you're out there, you're attacking people again. I mean, there was this classic example of you know about a month or two ago, we're talking about this case. They catch this juvenile, his fingerprints are on like 20 stolen cars. I'm not exaggerating. And even then, they're still not trying to wave him into adult court because they say, well, it's just, it's just not going to work. I understand the frustration that the police have, but I mean, I mean, all right, I just think stolen cars are a big deal. I mean, it is grand theft auto, and this isn't people that are also going out and just using them for the, this momentary joyride. This is a big deal. And and the legislature needs to get involved. You've got a Republican governor who is tough on crime. You've got a Republican-controlled legislature. And it's time to say, I think enough is enough. Mandatory minimum penalties for carjacking and mandatory minimum penalties for car theft. And changing the juvenile justice laws so that, yes, this is one of the offenses that you waive kids into adult court if they steal cars. Why are we protecting juvenile delinquents, for goodness sakes? Let's talk to Craig and Lowell. Craig, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. A uh, couple quick things. Less than 100 years ago, uh, horses, you know, the main mode of transportation. <laughs> How did they deal with the people that stole horses? They hung horse thieves. <laughs> Amen, brother. And second thing, you know what? If the courts don't want to put these juveniles away, then make their parents and or guardians responsible. Put one of those tracking bracelets on them mm-hmm. and, you know, give them a a okay. fair space to travel in if they're outside that and they commit a crime put the guardian away you know people depend on their transportation sure. you've got to get a grip on it yeah right no thank you right that's it it is a it is a big deal you talk to anyone who has had their car stolen and and first of all it's just that sense of violation all right, that, that somebody has taken that. But then it's the, it is the incredible inconvenience. And, and I think what happens sometimes is you've got soft on crime judges who say, well, all right, it's really not that big a deal because, yes, people, people have insurance and, you know, sooner or later the insurance company is going to pay off and it's not like they got hurt or anything. Well, all right, yeah, yes, people have insurance and, and yes, in many cases, you know, you're going to be able to get the, the, the at least the value of the car or whatever, but that doesn't stop the sense of violation. And just because there's an insurance company out there that might make you whole doesn't mean that we shouldn't be cracking down on the punks and the thugs that are out there doing it. And the reality is, I am sorry to tell you, is that the judges, particularly in Milwaukee County, suburbs, may, the surrounding counties, maybe a little bit less, but they just don't, they, they don't have the whatever 
to decide that we're going to deal with this like the problem that it is, which is why I think the legislature needs to step in. Like I say, what would be wrong with saying if you're over 18, you steal a car, first time you steal a car, you go to prison for two and a half years. Carjacking, a crime of violence, you go to jail for 10 years. I mean, seriously, and maybe we've got to build more prisons. I'm willing to do that. For juveniles, you say, all right, this is an offense that the presumption is you will be treated as an adult. And if you're treated as a juvenile, still mandatory minimum penalties saying, all right, even if you can somehow get back to juvenile court, you will be put in juvenile detention. You'll go to Lincoln Hills or whatever for at least a year or whatever that number would be. And some people are going to be screaming, oh, that's unfair. That's unfortunate. You're taking these people out of the streets. Well, yeah, because it's time to start protecting those of us, the decent law-abiding citizens. My God, this peop- this family can't sit in Menominee Falls and leave the garage door open for a couple hours in the early evening without people coming and stealing the car. And maybe it's a suburban thing. Maybe these were people from, um, you know, Menominee Falls. My guess is that my guess is that car is going to turn up in the city of Milwaukee. Just saying. 955. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our text line has exploded. Stealing a car as a juvenile seems nowadays to be the gateway crime to bigger and better criminals of the future, it certainly does. Eddie from Franklin Tech's Jeff, if you commit an adult crime, you should pay an adult price and get tried as an adult. These kids are trying to be grown-up thieves. They should be treated as such. I agree absolutely 100%. Um, let's see, Justin texts, agreed. Car theft and carjackings need to be prosecuted as serious crimes, regardless of the age of the perpetrators. We need tougher, ju- tougher juvenile laws and tougher punishment implemented by the criminal justice system. In the meantime, since most 10-year-old or new vehicles can't be run at all without the real key or key fob, um, people would be prudent to keep those things out of their cars when um, unattended, even on their own property. And, yeah, that's – I mean, that's why I don't criticize the Menominee Falls police for saying, okay, lock your cars, take all the valuables out of them, even when they're parked in your own garage. I, I don't criticize the cops for saying that. But what does it say about our community that we have to tell people, gee, don't forget to put your garage door down or else your car is going to be gone in 60 seconds. It should be the punks that are gone in 60 seconds. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner. Big story number three coming up. If you love the book To Kill a Mockingbird, you're going to be one of listening. You're going to want to be listening to our discussion. Stick around. It's 10.08. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number three, the war on literature continues. If you were to ask people who actually read and have read books, what the great, what would you define as the great American novel? You would get a, a number of responses. Some people might say, oh, it's something, it's a Hemingway book. Some people might say John Steinbeck. Some people might say F. Scott Fitzgerald. A lot of people would say that the great American novel was a book published in 1960 by a woman named Harper Lee um, called To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, if you have not read the book To Kill a Mockingbird, my guess is you have seen the movie starring Gregory Peck. To Kill a Mockingbird is set in, this is before the Civil Rights Movement. 
and it is set in it, it's somewhat autobiographical, but it, it it's set in a small southern town before the civil rights movement, and it centers on um, the, the the principal character Atticus Finch is a lawyer in this small southern town, and he ends up. Um, becoming extremely unpopular by taking the case of a black man who is not guilty but is accused of, of a crime, and it's it's it is just it is an incredibly powerful movie that talks about. I mean, if you really want to understand um, real racism in the antebellum South, th- this this is the story. And, um, you know, I think probably everybody's familiar with To Kill a Mockingbird, but, but the whole movie talks about just how how this this man is railroaded and how Atticus Finch, played by Gregory Peck in the movie, tries to stand up um, and believes that he is doing the right thing, even though it is unpopular, by trying to defend this man who is unjustly accused of crime. Anybody who wants to be a lawyer, I, I tell you, I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird is required reading because you understand the power of the court system and all it, it's just it is a great great book made into a great movie so like i say it was published in 1960 but it is set in an earlier time and harper lee the author she was trying to realistically depict you know what went on and the attitude and the racial tensions between the races so in the book there are it let's just be honest the n word appears right that that's but she's trying to do this it's not a gratuitous thing she is writing about what life was like in this small southern town and she's writing about the way white people looked at black people etc and the n word appears again i don't it's not used in a gratuitous fashion but it is used to try to depict you know, what it was like in this town. It is not censored. Now, um, the N-word is not something we say on the radio. It is not something that most newspapers will uh, allow to be, you know, printed. Um, but, but this was a book that was written in 1960 about an earlier time, and Harper Lee intentionally put those words in there because she was, again, trying to capture the spirit, that slice of life. It is not unlike... I don't know if you read Mark Twain, if you read, um, you know, Huckleberry Finn, or you read Tom Sawyer, you will see that word appears as well, because that was a word that was in fact used back at that point in, in time. You know, 1900 or whenever that those particular books were were written, turn of the 19th to 20th century. That was that was a word that was in fact used. Now, modern sensibilities have in fact changed, and we realize how vile and offensive that that word is. But but again, it was a word that appeared and that was used in this kind of slice of life. So, with that background, here's the story. Um, a Mississippi school board out of Biloxi, Mississippi, has decided to remove, to kill a mockingbird from the eighth grade curriculum. To kill a mockingbird has been required reading in many, many high schools, and even before that, probably you know since it first came out. Again, it is a great book. It has a message. But in Mississippi... 
they have decided in Biloxi, Mississippi school system to essentially ban the book from the reading list. The school board vice president says, well, there's language in the book that makes people uncomfortable, to which, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, it is said in 1930s Alabama, there is language that makes people uncomfortable in it, but it is also language that was used routinely by the people in that time. The N-word appears nearly 50 times throughout Mockingbird, almost always in dialogue. The novel won a Pulitzer Prize for fiction and made the values of the civil rights movement, particularly a feeling for the unfairness of segregation, real for millions. But now, at least in Biloxi, Mississippi, and they're not the first school board that's wrestled with this, they have decided that the fact that that word appears in the appropriate context that it was used in 1930s Alabama means that the kids cannot be exposed to it, and To Kill a Mockingbird is off the reading list. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is nothing short of appalling. I'd look at some of the books that appear as acceptable on reading lists in schools nowadays, and I, I shake... My, my head. And then you have a classic, and Kakil Mockingbird is a classic in every sense of the word, and it is deemed unacceptable for children, because for eighth graders or high school kids, because it uses an admittedly offensive word, but a word that was used in that time. I mean, isn't this the classic example of teachable moments and to show perhaps how far we have come in society in the last 60 years? All right, 414-799-1620. Let's tee this up. Our Mississippi School Board bans To Kill a Mockingbird, or at least removes it from reading lists in the classroom, saying we think it is inappropriate because the kids are not going to be able to handle that word. Is this the right decision? My answer is absolutely, totally, 100% no. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1015. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1018. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I, I admit this, this makes my head explode. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, Pulitzer Prize winner, um, arguably the greatest American novel ever. Don't want to have that discussion, but a lot of people would argue that, that it is. It has now been banned from the required reading list, the classroom le- reading list in, uh, for eighth graders in Biloxi, Mississippi, because it contains the N-word. Of course, To Kill a Mockingbird is you know one of the leading books that I think gets a lot of credit for really um, personalizing and humanizing the civil rights movement. It's set small town in 1930s Alabama, and it centers around the principal character, the, the father figure, who's a lawyer, Atticus Finch, who takes on the unpopular cause of a black man who's wrongfully accused of, of a crime. And in dialogue, you know, he's, he's they, they use the N-word. He's called a, you know, blank lover and things like that. Um, the school district has now decided the fact that the N-word appears there, well, uh, it, it's just not suitable for the kids to read. At what point in time do we sanitize history? 414-799-1620. Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I think this is a real travesty because anybody who's read the book, you know, it, it 
it was, it's a slice of life of that time. And yet today, when you listen to, let's say, rap music or interviews or yes. um, music or, you know, other, you know, hot, hot issues, that word can be used by the other race with no problem. Well, right. Well, let's look, right. Let's look at rap music where that, again, that, that word, which I find to be offensive, and I don't think anybody should use it, it, it you know, it routinely appears in a lot of the hip-hop sort of stuff in this sort of gratuitous use. My, I would think that this would be an incredible teaching moment, especially also demonstrating that the hurtful power of that word. This is a teachable moment. That's why this is great literature. And if it makes people uncomfortable, well, then then I think it causes kids to examine why it is that they're uncomfortable. Exactly. When you watch the movie, it's not a high class. You know, the girl involved was not a, a high class person. It was it was basically both equals as far as their you know what I think one was a sharecropper or a farmer and right. you know every everything that happened. It wasn't that it was you know someone famous or you know with with you know a pr- prominent person in the town. It was right. they were both kind of um, right. Well, but right again, but, but again, it's it's yeah, it, it's I mean it's. This is. I think you have to look at this type of stuff in context. As a matter of fact, I have a text from uh, Chuck who says, um, "My kids are exposed to rap music, where a version of the N word is used to excess. Makes no sense to take it out of school libraries in the context of historical stories." That that's if this was a gratuitous thing, I'd have a different feeling about it. But this is classic literature, and uh, again. Good literature makes people uncomfortable. Make the kids examine why they're uncomfortable. Cause right, and maybe every day or every after every chapter, after, you know, to talk about it and actually feel how they're feeling, go over things to see how how history started. Because if we erase this, right. and all we know is this word from rap music, and today they're missing a whole block of education and and in fact. Right. Exactly. No, thanks for the call. Good, great call. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's it. I mean, and again, it just I, I look at a lot of the stuff that's on the required readings and we've talked about this. Some of these just kind of bizarre books, which are clearly, at least in my opinion, are age inappropriate. I'm not a book banner, but the question is, is something age inappropriate to kill a mockingbird is a classic book that I think should be required, that has been in most schools, you know, required reading. Number one, it is incredibly well written. Number two, it deals with some very, very difficult subject matter in, I think, a compelling and thoughtful way. And, again, it, it opens up this dialogue. But the fact that, and, and what happened here, I think, is some some parent complained, gee, you know, we're, we're uncomfortable with that word. Well, I understand you should be uncomfortable with that word, but maybe as part of classic literature, you use this to examine why that word, whether it's coming out of the mouth of a racist 15-year-old or of a, of a rap star, Maybe that's why that word just shouldn't be part of anybody's vocabulary. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Al on the north side. Al, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Uh, good morning. I, I guess I'm just so caught back that we have a problem with sharing truth, yet we call it history. Yet we want to share with children what things went on, what terms were used, what segregate, whatever, yeah. when you talk about civil rights, you are sharing with someone what was said. It would be like taking uh, uh, I have a dream speech and now taking <laughs> words out of it because someone has a problem in hearing that word. In order for people to know where we were, where we came from, 
what was said, what the mindset, what yeah. rationale, what all of these things, you actually take away truth. It would be different if they were making up something, ad-libbing something, and wanting to give their own explanation of what happened. Right. But to take away the actual factual things, words, situations that occurred, I just don't even know why that person who complained that their issue was even listened to. No, Al, thanks for the call. And again, it's it, well, we're, we're just so sensitive to all this sort of stuff. Thank, thanks for the call. It's the, the whole notion of of it being gratuitous. And see, and look, look I, I, I think you could find movies, you could find pieces of literature where the, the use of that word was just kind of gratuitous or whatever, but that's not what Mockingbird is. I mean, again, it, it, this is used, it is used in dialogue, it is used to advance the story and to demonstrate, uh, again, the, the racial injustice and, you know, what it was like to, you know, to grow up, in, in her perspective, to grow up white, you know, in, in a segregated town in Alabama in the 1930s. And you can pretend it didn't happen, but at the same time, you know, are we really are we really doing our children a favor if we say, no, well, we have to kind of sanitize this and, and sugarcoat it? And, I mean, again, Mockingbird, to me, is one of these classic examples. It should be required reading. Mike in Greendale. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. What do you think? The comment I made to your producer was, it's kind of like the archdiocese banning the Bible, because <laughs> in part of it, Jesus is mistreated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is the, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The only way I could see this happening is if it was some white supremacist movement trying to do it because it... They don't like the work. message, right. They, they don't like right. the message, right. yeah. But there are wonderful messages in the book beyond racism. I mean, the treatment of a mentally retarded man. Um, mm-hmm. Right, the, the love so we, of the love of the the Harper right. Lee character of Scout right. for her father. No, it's it's yeah. I mean, no, thanks to God. There's there there there's just so many compelling things uh, about th- this particular book, and I just what what drives me crazy again is is I look at all the different stuff that I, I think gets taught, and some of these books that end up on curriculums that, in my opinion, completely and totally age inappropriate. And then you have the, this classic. And, I mean, I do wonder, you know, where where does this stop? Um, do you say, all right, Huckleberry Finn, like I was saying earlier, or Tom Sawyer, because this word appears that, you know, what we would typically consider to be great literature, it, it doesn't appear. I mean, look, the reality is, you know, we have come, hopefully, sometimes I think we've come a long way, other times I think we haven't come very far at all. But the, the bottom line of all this is, you know, we, we, we can't we can't ignore history. We can't sanitize history. We shouldn't pretend that things didn't happen. And if this is accurate and compelling dialogue, and I think everybody would agree it is, you know, what do we solve by saying, no, we're not going to expose people to this great literature? Where do you end up drawing the, the line? I mean, again, this is it's great literature. This is the type of book that should be taught and should be discussed on a regular basis because of so many different things that we can learn. But because somebody somewhere is offended, 
All right, well, I just assume if they want to channel their efforts, instead of banning To Kill a Mockingbird, like I say, well, maybe maybe they should be denouncing the, the prevalence of the gratuitous use of this word that we all find offensive, you know, in, in the rap songs that come out on a daily basis. It's 1027. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A lot of good stuff coming up on today's program, including Colin Kaepernick back in the news. Stick around. It's 1034, Jeff Weck, 620 WTMJ. It was a big week for our WTMJ Cares campaign presented by First Bank Financial Center. Thanks to your generosity, in just four days, more than $23,000 was raised. Now, in this final week, we're continuing the push so that kids can take advantage of this opportunity year-round. For more info or to donate, just text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 414-799-1620 today. A very, very worthwhile cause. All right. Puerto Rico, before the hurricane hit. And interesting, I've never been to Puerto Rico. I've been to a lot of the the islands around there and all, but I've never been to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico has been a fiscal disaster for a long time. Um, We're talking about several decades. Um, Right now, and this is pre-hurricane, Puerto Rico has amassed about $74 billion in public debt. This year, the, the government filed for bankruptcy-like protection in federal court to, save, to stave off creditors, including mutual funds and hedge funds that have, have, have done bonding. And now Puerto Rico says, oh, we, well, we can't pay. The island got itself into problems after bad fiscal management. It issued bonds to finance day-to-day operations um, after the tax receipts could not cover the costs. So they're paying out more than they're taking in, so they bond. They borrow money. Now they can't pay back the money that they owe, so they're looking for for bankruptcy. Um, the, The situation got worse about a decade ago after Congress phased out these various tax loopholes and tax exemptions that made Puerto Rico a favorable location for drug companies and other businesses to set up shop. As soon as they took away, as soon as Congress took away these tax incentives, um, a lot of businesses left, which resulted, again, in lower tax revenue. So it created this vicious cycle. You know, they're borrowing to pay day-to-day expenses. They're expecting to pay the interest back on the debts with tax revenue. Um, less tax revenue comes in, so they got to borrow more. They end up not being able to make the payments on the debt. So it's it's been the problems going on in Puerto Rico have been going on for a long time. The economy has been in a recession for about a decade. The poverty rate is about forty five percent. So again, it it's an economic. It's been an economic mess. And then, of course, you, you overlay, you know, what happened a couple weeks ago, the, the hurricane that comes in and just creates massive, massive destruction to the point that um, there's still, uh, let's see, what are what are the numbers? Um, three weeks after Hurricane Maria, 83% of the island was still without power, 36% had no running water, 45% was without telecommunication services. So you have the, this this. This country that's very, very economic and huge economic problems, and then you have this monster hurricane that comes out and wipes out much of the infrastructure. Now, Congress had originally decided they originally put in 19 B as in billion dollars to help 
Again, it's humanitarian relief. Let, let's get food there. Let's get water there. Let's get technicians there. Let's get the power turned back on. And I think everybody is familiar with the ongoing debate between President Trump and this woman named Carmen Cruz, who is the mayor of San Juan, who, and, and I get where she's coming from. You know, she's, her concern is her constituents. Um, and she's looking at this complete and total devastation and the lack of running water and no power. And, you know, she's been attacking. Well, she says she's not attacking, but she's been highly critical of President Trump. President Trump has, of course, responded by saying, you know, we're doing all we can. And, you know, she's you know, she's doing this to play politics. Well, OK, late last week, President Trump takes to Twitter to say that, all right, we, we can't we can't stay in Puerto Rico forever. It, it's just not feasible to stay there forever. But but at the same time, Congress, by an overwhelming vote, approved thirty six point five billion dollars to, uh, again, replenish funds for disaster release for Puerto relief for Puerto Rico. Well, despite that happening. The mayor of San Juan, she continues to be unhappy. You know, here's what she said about, she issues this statement. I ask every American that has love and not hate in their hearts to stand with Puerto Rico and let this president know we will not be left to die. I ask the United Nations, UNICEF, and the world to stand with the people of Puerto Rico and stop the genocide that will result from the lack of appropriate action by a president that just just does not get it because he has been incapable of looking in our eyes and seeing the pride that burns fiercely in our hearts and in our souls. She goes on to say, Tweet away your hate to mask your administration's mishandling of this humanitarian crisis. While you are amusing yourself throwing paper towels at us, your compatriots in the world are sending love and help our way. Condemn us to a slow death of non-drinkable water, lack of food, lack of medicine, while you keep others eager to help, while you keep others who are eager to help from reaching us. Now, of course, the, the, this is the federal government that, like I say, originally committed in the neighborhood of 19, in the original neighborhood of 19 billion dollars to disaster relief for Puerto Rico. Recognizing that that's not going to be enough, the government is committing another $36.5 billion, But the president is saying, hey, you know, Puerto Rico has been a mess for, for decades. We're not going to be able to stay there forever. And the mayor says, this is genocide. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, again, I, I understand that people say things for political purposes or whatever. And I understand that people are critical of Donald Trump for different things. But but you know what? Um, you know, if you are looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 B as in billion dollars in disaster relief coming from the U.S. government and going to Puerto Rico, it takes a lot of nerve, I think, to suggest, oh, this is genocide. This country, we're doing nothing. People in Puerto Rico are being allowed to starve and to die and to drink poor water. Look, I understand it is a humanitarian crisis. I, I get all that. But we're talking about $50 billion to an island that was already struggling and was absolutely decimated. To accuse the president of genocide, which is effectively what she does, he doesn't care about us, there's nothing but hate, 
I think is insulting. I think it is over the top. I think it is extremely unfair. You can quibble with whether or not, in the wake of the two hurricanes that hit Florida and, and Texas, whether or not FEMA was stretched so thin that you know they just it, the response took longer than we would have liked. You can argue about whether the nature of the devastation was so great. And, and, and people have said, well, maybe once they knew the hurricane was on its way, what they should have done is they should have had supply ships in the water already. But, of course, that mean that the, the ports were destroyed. But, you, you know, you can argue with whether or not the relief effort was quick enough. I think that's fair. But to suggest that people, starting with the president, don't care, and this is genocide, when we're shipping over $50 billion to this island, Again, I think it's unfair. I'm not going to say it's ungrateful because I know, you know, this is what you this is what you do, and they are a commonwealth, and you know, you 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 have to help them. But genocide, really? Are her remarks over the top, or is this a fair criticism of this president? I think over the top. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's ten forty three. It's ten forty five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Again, I. I just, I appreciate that politics isn't being bad. And I understand, and I am very sympathetic. I can't imagine what it would be like to be living in Puerto Rico right now, where you still have an enormous amount of the island that doesn't have um, electricity, that doesn't have access to clean drinking water. But at the same time, you had the island whose infrastructure was a mess before this massive hurricane hits. Um, right now, the federal government committed 19.5 B as in billion dollars to relief for Puerto Rico. Last week, Congress, the House of Representatives, passed a, an additional relief bill that would commit about 36 B as in billion dollars. It's going to be debated by the Senate this week. But, I mean, you're talking about 50-plus billion dollars. Now, the president, who's kind of in a war of words with the mayor of San Juan, he says, well, uh, you know, FEMA and the military can't be there forever. And this then prompts her to say, oh, this this is a president who's talking about genocide. We're getting ready to send, we've sent close to 20 billion. We're getting ready to send another 36 billion if the Senate signs off on this. This is, this is genocide? I mean, really? Come on. Jack in Port Washington. Jack, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, you just hit the nail on the head with your last recounting um, of it. Was His tweet is what prompted her response. Her response was over the top and exaggerated, not called for. But so was his tweet. I, I don't know what his purpose in that is. Right. Um, I also don't know uh, at what point she did that with respect to the uh, funding that had been passed. But regardless, she was at least I mean, and Jack, I think, right, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, thanks to, I mean, look, I, I, I have, matter of fact, last week, I, I had an opportunity to talk to someone, and I'm not going to name, but I had an opportunity to talk to someone who is a, an advisor to the president, kind of a, I, I would say, sort of a, it, it's an arm's length type of advisor, but somebody who, from time to time, has, has acted as an advisor to the president, and we were, we were talking about that, and, and I think even people close to the president acknowledge that, as I always say, there's the different, there's the style and there's the substance, and you need to kind of separate the substance from, from the style. And we, everybody kind of rolls their eyes and says, okay, well, would the president be better off if he just uh, avoided the tweeting? And, and that's, I mean, I, I think that 
that is the case. And what what I mean prompted this was in response to some of her attacks. He's like, well, okay, Puerto. You got to understand, Puerto Rico is a financial mess, which Puerto Rico is a financial mess, and it was a financial mess for a long time. Um, so he's like, well, FEMA can't be there forever. The military can't be there forever. Now, FEMA, again, you know, it's not uncommon to have a presence at least a year or more, you know, after, you know, one of these type of disasters. So he wasn't talking about Puerto Rico, you know, being abandoned by the government, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, we're we're talking about throwing, uh, again, 19.5 plus another 36 B as in billion dollars in. I think... I, I hate to use the word ungrateful because I appreciate it is a humanitarian crisis. I, I appreciate that. But at the same time, th- there are limits as to what you know people can do. And I understand how frustrating it is for the people of Puerto Rico. But at the same time, when you have uh, a hurricane that knocks out all the power plants and knocks down all the, the power transmission lines, and it's an island – and so what happens is it, it knocks out all the electricity and takes down all the, the towers at the airports so you can't get flights in. And it destroys the ports so you can't get the ships in with the relief things until you rebuild the ports. You, you know, you've been dealing with logistical nightmares. And in FEMA's defense, this is – I don't doubt that their resources are stretched because keep in mind this all happened within a space of a couple weeks. You had – Houston first, the, the thing, the, the big hurricane in Texas, that and all the flooding in South Texas. Then you had the other hurricane that decimated, you know, Florida. And then you've got, you know, Puerto Rico, which poses all sorts of challenges based on its locations. Fifty-some um, billion dollars, to me, that is not genocide. And again, I understand, you know, the mayor, you know, she's, you know, she wants everything back to normal, even though normal was a mess, but she wants everything back to normal tomorrow. That is a very, very real concern. Her issues are her constituents, but big picture, sometimes there's only like so much that you can do. And maybe the president shouldn't have been, what do they call it, punching down and engaging with her um, in, in one of these like back and forth between statements and tweets. But you're getting 55 B as in billion dollars, assuming the Senate signs off on it. That, to me, is hardly genocide and is hardly being abandoned by the taxpayers of the United States. Um, Just saying. All right. It's 1051. Back with much more in just a minute, including what could the general have been thinking? No, no, no. Don't answer that question. I'll tell you. It's 1051. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, Let's see. Just like that, the Packers lose Aaron Rodgers for what could be the rest of the season. Ouch. So now what? Greg Matzik opens up the discussion tonight on Sports Central starting at 6.07. As I said earlier in the program, I choose to be, in this particular case, a a half glasses half full guy. I mean, I understand it could quickly go south, but not willing to bail on the team right now. Let's see what the backup quarterback can do. Uh, you know, one of the big concerns, one of the big things was everybody thought this guy was going to be ready for prime time, ready to be a starting quarterback in the NFL after this year. Um, so, this is his chance to this is his chance to do it. I every once in a while there are these stories that come around. And I, I understand, I, I guess, what the person who was involved in the stories was thinking, but at the same time, I just kind of shake my head and say, what were you thinking? Uh, here, here's the latest story. This uh, The guy's name is um, Joseph 
Hamilton. He was a major general, um, and I say was. He commanded the U.S. He commanded U.S. Army Africa from his post in in Europe. All right, so big time general. Um, he has now been sacked, been fired. Why? Well, apparently he decided that he thought it would be a good idea to exchange dirty emails with the wife of an enlisted soldier at his post in Italy. This is the guy's wife. The guy is a sergeant. Um, this is the major general who is exchanging emails with the guy, the sergeant's wife. At one point in time, he referred to her as a, a hottie. <laughs> um, Harrington and the woman, decades his junior, exchanged dozens of messages, many of them personal and referring to her appearance. Now, I understand, by the way, it takes two to tango, and apparently, um, you know, the woman was responding. At the same time, um, your your husband is a sergeant. This is the major general, so um, it, it's not like you're actually two equals. But in any event, um, Harrington and the woman, decades his junior, exchanged dozens of messages, many of them personal, and referring to her appearance. He called her a hottie in one, and others in which he acknowledged her husband, a sergeant, would not be happy with the relationship. Gee, do you think you've got this guy who finds out that the guy that runs the whole post, the major general, is exchanging flirty slash dirty slash whatever emails with the enlisted man's wife? Gee, who could have thought that this would have been a good idea? Um, apparently, the major general asked her to delete the messages. She didn't. And, of course, the husband finds out about this. Um, interestingly, until he was suspended, he had the authority to order cases to go to court-martial, including those involving sexual assault and harassment, as well as any involving the woman's husband. It, it's So I, I, I'm reading this story, and, and again, I understand that people go through midlife crises. I mean, I, my midlife crisis was I couldn't hit my three-wood as far. But, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at these people. Okay, here you have this major general, and I, I don't think – from what I understand, the quote-unquote relationship, if you want to use that word, it, it never advanced beyond sending I'm hot for you or you hot for me emails back and forth. But still, you're, you're, you're a major general. This is the wife of an enlisted man under your command, and you're engaging in these things back and forth. At, at some point in time, isn't there some... Isn't there just this stop sign? See, that's what I don't get. Jane Matinier, that's what I don't get, that there's not this stop sign that when you have something that just nothing good, absolutely nothing good can come of it. When you're the major general and you're sitting there at your keyboard and you've got the wife of the enlisted man, isn't there that big old stop sign that says, maybe I shouldn't be flirting with her in email? Not if he's gotten away with it before. Well, there you go. That's what you start to. That's are you emboldened by this kind of stuff or, or whatever? I mean, it's just it's just it is mind boggling to me, and it, it's sort of different. It's like, it's like the people that the the fifty year old married guys that meet somebody that meet the person pretending to be the six that they meet what they think is a sixteen year old boy or girl over the internet. 
they set up some meeting in a hotel room, and it turns out to be the cops or John McCure there with the I team or, or whatever. And, and I just I keep wondering, as that person is driving to that hotel room, what is going through their mind? I mean, what of all the different outcomes, none of them can really work out. They just can't. You wouldn't think. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Well, another one of the stories comes, interestingly, from the NFL, but unlike the injury to Aaron Rodgers, which is a sports-related story, this is like sands through the hourglass. So are the days of our lives. This is the continuing saga of Colin Kaepernick, the former quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Everybody understands that the story and knows about it. Kaepernick decided that he he was upset with this country and the racial injustice, and so he decided to start kneeling um, instead of standing for the national anthem. He's the guy that kind of started this whole thing. And um, at the time, Kaepernick at one point in time was a pretty good NFL quarterback, Um, But for whatever reasons, his effectiveness diminished. At the time he started staging these protests, he was the backup quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. What he ended up doing was um, ultimately he opted out of the last year of his contract with the San Francisco 49ers last year. um, But they were supposed to pay him like 14 million bucks. But he was... um, they, they would have cut him anyways. They weren't going to pay him that kind of money. His contract really paid him for when he was a starting quarterback. He was a backup quarterback. Um, he accomplished some things with San Francisco, but, again, he, he had played himself into a backup quarterback position, and he's got certain limitations. I mean, I that and you know, give him all the credit in the world. He's played at an NFL level. But he's not Aaron Rodgers, and he's not Tom Brady, and he was a backup for the 49ers, which were one of the worst teams in in the league. He is also a hot potato in the extreme. I mean, earlier on today, when we were taking calls about Aaron Rodgers, I mean, one of the things we had at calls just gratuitously from a number of fans who are saying, "We, we we don't care, we don't want Colin Kaepernick on this team. He doesn't stand for our values, and, you know, if, if he's on, we're going to do this or do that or the other thing. That is that is the reality. See, in this country, you have a First Amendment right to express yourself. But that doesn't mean that you are free from the consequences of that. You have a First Amendment right to come out and say racist things if you want. You, you, you can do that. But that doesn't mean that you don't... You know, you, you're not going to then be condemned from a, as a racist, and it doesn't mean that. Okay, if you're again in a, in the public eye and you come out and you you know say start spouting out all sort of race, racist things, might be your right to hold those positions, but there's going to be consequences. All right, that's just the way it works. That there are consequences for this. So you have Colin Kaepernick, who I, I think it's a question as to how good he is right now, who is also. Because of his actions, he has made himself a hot potato, and that's the way we'll describe it. Because you know, if you know any team signs him, 
there is going to immediately be backlash from a certain segment of their fans. And it might be, I don't, I don't know if it's a majority, don't know if it's a minority, but you know that there is going to be a backlash, and you know it is going to be controversial. And at the end of the day, the NFL, like the NBA, like Major League Baseball, it's, it's a business. It's the entertainment business. And what they want to do is they want to sell jerseys, and they want to put butts in the seat, and they want to collect money from TV revenues. And so there's all these different things going in, which is why... Um, when you have people who have been controversial, um, they, they limit their marketing ability. Now, I understand, you know, Michael Vick, you know, was sponsoring dog fights and, you know, and he came back. And there's all sorts of NFL players who have done very, very bad things, who have committed crimes, and they were able to return. Right now, Colin Kaepernick has not been able to find a, a team. All right. Now, I think the reason he's not been able to find a team is, again, he's just... I don't know how much money he's asking. You know, earlier on the reports were, you know, that he was asking nine, ten, eleven, twelve million dollars, and he wanted to be a starter. And teams weren't willing to go along with that. Now I don't know if that's still the case, but there's a lot of teams I think are looking at him and they're making the decision: this guy's just not worth it. You know, he doesn't. He, he's not going to help us that much. He's going to be a distraction. There's going to be a controversy with the fan base. We don't need this for a guy who's going to ultimately end up being, you know, a backup quarterback so that's kind of where the the issue all plays in so in any event over the weekend Kaepernick through his advisors announced that he was going to file uh, it's not a lawsuit but that he was going to file a grievance because it has to be heard by an arbitrator um, under the NFL's collective bargaining agreement he said they're filing this grievance alleging that um, the the NFL Essentially, the owners colluded together because he has not found a a gig as a quarterback, that this has to be because the owners colluded together to keep him out of the league. And they go on to say that, you know, this is in response to partisan political provocation by, you know, President Trump. Um, and they say this is just terrible, and he needs to be protected from this, and so he should be entitled to damages. The damages theoretically would be what he was due to make before he was cut, doubled. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, maybe they're going to find some evidence of the NFL owners getting together and saying, okay, we're, 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 we're going we're to agree all among ourselves that we're not going to hire Colin Kaepernick. I don't believe that to be the case. I don't believe it to be the case for one minute. I just think on an individual basis, I can see the teams just simply deciding this guy is more trouble than he's worth. He wants a boatload of money. He wants the opportunity to start. He was the backup quarterback on one of the worst teams in the league. He is a hot potato. He has made himself a lightning rod. We just, it's not worth it. That is not collusion. That is just a valid business decision. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And that, to me, is that that's the risk you run when you decide that you are going to be a lightning rod. I don't see collusion here. I just see solid business decisions being made by various team ownership. I mean, really, if you're the Packers... Why would you touch? Why would you touch Colin Kaepernick? I mean, seriously, Aaron Rodgers. You know, if 
if he's either going to be back later this year or he's going to be back next year. So you, you don't need him. You've got your backup quarterback already. You're going to bring him in for a handful of games to a system that he doesn't get? No, I mean, if if, Aaron, if they don't reach out to Colin Kaepernick, and I don't think they're going to, it's not because of collusion. It's because he's more trouble than he's worth, and it's his own fault. 414-799-1620. You sympathetic to Colin Kaepernick? You think this is a conspiracy, or is this just... You've made your bed, and now you're going to have to lie in it. I'm definitely in that second category. We discussed 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Stick around. It's 1116. It's 1119. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It was a big week for our WTMJ Cares campaign presented by First Bank Financial Center. Thanks to your generosity, in just four days, more than $23,000 was raised. Now in this final week, we're continuing to push so that kids can take advantage of this opportunity year-round. For more info or to donate, just text the word CARES to 414-799-1620 today. Okay, Colin Kaepernick has filed a grievance under the collective bargaining agreement saying the owners are colluding to keep him out of the NFL because of his political beliefs. Now, first of all, he was the backup quarterback on one of the worst teams in the league. He was making a ton of money, and he made himself a political hot potato. I can easily see where NFL owners are saying, look, it's just not worth the hassle. It's not worth the problems that this guy brings. And if he wants to figure out why that's the case, all he needs to do is look in a mirror. Let's start with Rick and Beloit. Rick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, he he, made, he brought this upon himself, and he can change this at any moment. I mean, I, I'm a veteran. I don't agree with him kneeling, but I do understand that it's his choice. But at the same time, he, there's, he don't have a solution. Just kneeling does not fix the problem. And, you know, like ESPN's talking about, well, everybody's talking about it now. Yes, they are. But he's not coming with answers. Right. If he were to come up with a solution wanting people to do community time and work with communities, maybe then the owners would, different owners would look at signing him because he's being a role model rather than a rebel. Yeah, I like the role model rather than a rebel. But, I mean, see, this is this idea, I guess what I find mind-boggling about this, all oh, this has to be collusion, this idea that... You, you have the first of all, and I, I keep explaining this to people. There's there's this misconception. The First Amendment freedom of speech applies to government. Government shall not you know infringe upon people's freedom of speech. It doesn't apply as a general rule in the workplace. I mean, you have and the, the classic example I give is you take reporters. You know, um, there are all sorts of rules. I mean, the Journal Sentinel I know has disciplined people over the years, for example, for signing recall petitions because well okay you're you're you you have a first amendment right to sign a recall petition of course you do but at the same time you know you're supposed to be a journalist you're supposed to not take positions in political causes you're supposed to be unbiased ha 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 but regardless so they have policies and and that's that's fine they have the right to do that so it, this whole idea that he has an absolute first amendment right to do whatever he wants no employers has the right to do it but employers can put limits on all that but regardless of how you feel about the kneeling all right once you decide that you are going to take a position or make yourself the centerpiece of a cause, 
what happens is you have to take the good with the bad. The good being, hey, you've, you know, you're, you're now embraced as this civil rights hero or whatever. But the bad is you then become a hot potato and you alienate justly or unjustly. I'm not even get into that now, but you alienate a huge chunk of, for example, the, the people who are paying money to watch the games or buying the jerseys or supporting the advertisers. So, I mean, I, I easily understand. I mean, he, he had a tryout or something that Baltimore Ravens talked to him, and I think they decided, number one, the guy's not going to be a good fit for the team, and, and number two, it's going to be, you know, just a circus, and we just don't need that. Well, okay, that's not collusion. That's just That's just business sense. Dennis Rodman. All right, classic example here. Remember Dennis Rodman, the crazy guy? At some point in time, you know, Dennis Rodman, his ability to rebound the ball becomes, okay, it, it's great and you want that, but at the same time, he's just such a freak show otherwise that it's just not worth the hassle. That happens all the time. Okay, let's see. Uh, Kevin and Muskego on the text line. Another issue is it would be a media circus. Every player and coach would be asked what they thought of the protests. Not worth the hassle for a short-term backup. It's not collusion. It, it's just a business decision. Um yeah. Okay. Let's see another one of our texts. Third string quarterback for one of the worst teams in the league, um, and then decides to take a knee. This is not being eminently qualified. Um, good luck. Maybe it's his own decision that created the problem. Um, yes. Jeff and Fox Point texts. Colin made his own bed, complete with hospital corners and pillow shams. If I were a football team executive during this time of bad PR, I would be avoiding divisive players. Um, Karen from Glen Ellen text, Kaepernick is toxic. No team should take that chance. He did it to himself. Eddie and Franklin, there was no collusion here. Kaepernick is a disruption. No coach in his right mind would invite that into their house. His numbers over the last two seasons have been dismal. He would want big money and he has baggage. It's his own doing that has led him to being unemployable um yeah randy says he didn't sign with the 49ers second contract um he thought he was going to make more money then he started to kneel and became unpopular maybe he should have ended up signing um yeah andrew text if everyone thinks you are toxic it that that doesn't mean they are colluding it just means that you probably are toxic um yeah yeah, Dan says his main skill was his speed, and that is diminished. He was greedy, left his team in hopes of more money, and he lost. Any team that signs him will get a huge fan protest, not worth the problems he would cause. Yeah, I I, I agree 110%, you know, with, with all this. But regardless, and see, I don't want to even debate this whole notion of does he right to have the right to kneel? Was he trying to convey? What, what was he trying to convey? doesn't matter doesn't matter the die is cast he has crossed the rubicon to use cliches here i mean it it doesn't matter and you know you can spend all the time in the world saying no he wasn't really being disrespectful doesn't matter that doesn't matter people have made up their minds and from the perspective of an nfl owner again if an nfl owner wants to take a chance on him you know, go with god that that's fine but I certainly understand why, especially at this point, you would not bring this hot potato in because then you're going to spend all the time dealing with the distraction and dealing with at least some part of the fan base that was alienated. I, I get it. Now, if the guy was Aaron Rodgers, 
okay, maybe you deal with the distracted fan base, but Colin Kaepernick ain't Aaron Rodgers. It's 1127. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1136. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He's the longest tenured, tenured brewer, and it's been the topic of trade rumors over the past few off-seasons. What does he think about his future here in Milwaukee? Brewers outfielder Ryan Braun joins Greg Matzik for an exclusive one-on-one conversation this evening at 7.07 on Sports Central, and be sure to tune that in. Okay, Gru, who is producing the program today. All right, this is how my Monday starts off, and, and there is a lesson here, and that lesson is... All right, pay attention to your clutter. Now, see, I, 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 for, for my email here, you get the stuff that comes through in, in the inbox, and then you get stuff that gets trapped in the, the, like the spam filter, and then you get the, the stuff that you either delete or the, the people that just go straight into delete, and, and you should know who you are if you don't. But, okay, but so, the, and I never pay attention to, like, the clutter, or at least I don't pay good enough attention to the clutter. So this week, uh, this Thursday, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking Thursday and Friday off, and my niece is a freshman at San Diego State, and I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan, and he's playing in concert on Saturday night in, in San Diego. So my brother and I, we're going to fly out on Thursday, um, spend Thursday and Friday and, and a good part of Saturday with Sydney. We're going to go see the Jimmy Buffett show, come back on Sunday. So that's, that's kind of the plan, like a long, long weekend um, to, to do that. And it's been planned for a long time. And so being the good brother that I am, when we were first starting to think about this, I said, I tell you what, I will pick up the tab. I'll pick up our airfare. I'll, I'll, I'll get the plane tickets. So I, I go on, and this is Southwest. I go on to the air thing, and I, hey, it's great. Southwest has a flight. Direct flight, and I always try to find direct flights, leaving Thursday 3, like at noon. Leaves Thursday at noon and gets in like 3 o'clock San Diego time. It's like a five-hour flight, so you lose. And it's great. It's a direct flight. Leaves at noon. Give me time to spend some time with my wife Thursday morning. You know, just super. It's just tremendous. I'm all excited about that, and that's great. Matter of fact, I've got the, I've got the receipts. So this morning, I'm sitting down, and I get the notice from Southwest Airlines. Hey, your trip is coming up. This is great. And that, that's fine. And I just kind of click on it, and I see that instead of this 12.05 or this 12.30 or whatever flight, it's got us on a 6.45 a.m. flight that goes from Milwaukee to Atlanta. So we're going the opposite way, and then Atlanta to San Diego. Now, the only saving grace is you don't have to change planes. But it's 6.45, and it gets in at 12.20. And I, I, I'm, I'm pulling out all the documentation I have from when I booked this trip, and I'm going, wait a second, here, I, I've got it. I'm, I'm on this flight. Well, obviously, somewhere along the line, they canceled the flight that I booked a number of months ago and paid for, and then they just kind of unilaterally assigned us to this 6.45 a.m. flight. And now you're at the point where they, they've got you. There's, not, there's, there's nothing you can do because I then go and look, and the only other flights that are going out there aren't, aren't any better than this one. And matter of fact, the, the direct flight's gone, so there aren't any better ones than this and the ones that they have are, are essentially the same thing and they'd cost you like five hundred dollars more to transfer so it goes from like a, a 12 a perfect okay we're leaving at noon this is great for once in my life i don't have to get up really early and run to the airport to oh now it's six forty-five in the morning but I, i'm glad i checked on it 
and there's really like no recourse that you end up having. And I have no idea how long ago it was that this change was made. But I guess the lesson behind all this, and I understand this is in many respects a first world problem, but the, the lesson behind this is, boy, you want to pay attention to that. And, and what I found happens is the notices from the airline get they, they don't come directly to my inbox they they come and they get stuck in clutter and unless i'm sorting through the clutter thing i don't end up finding them and most times it probably doesn't matter in this particular case it, it did end up mattering big time so the bottom line is a little less sleep on thursday morning for what i hope will be a worthwhile trip really looking forward to seeing my niece um and i will be back on monday but i'm off on thursday and friday just leaving a tad earlier than i thought i was going to all right huge controversy involving cuts in milwaukee to police and firefighter staffing numbers Fire Chief has an interesting perspective. The mayor has an interesting perspective. We're going to talk about that next. It's 1140. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1143. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I know it's not particularly timely, but this might be my favorite text of the day. Uh, We were talking about Colin Kaepernick, and, and my point was, I don't think there's collusion. I just think that he's just such a hot potato that... Um, you know, you have NFL owners. He's just not good enough to take the PR hit that's going to come with this. Here's the text. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Colin Kaepernick. Don't shoot the messenger, Jeff. Huh. Colin Kaepernick being mentioned in the same sentence with Gandhi and Martin Luther King. Okay. Can we say a scooch over the top, perhaps? Just saying. All right. Um, What is playing out in Milwaukee is a very, very interesting discussion. The mayor, uh, Tom Barrett, has has decided that in his latest budget, he is going to, in order to save nine million dollars, he is going to get rid of 75 firefighter jobs. He's also going to get rid of 33 police positions. And, and this isn't going to necessarily be officers that are fired. It will be vacancies that aren't filled or and or through attrition. Somebody retires and you don't replace them. But the net effect is that the jobs are gone. Now, the, the mayor has said, well, okay, I, I need to do this because we, we don't have the money to pay for these firefighter jobs or the police jobs. The, the mayor has wanted more shared revenue. That's not going to happen. The mayor wanted permission from the legislature to go and ask for a half-cent sales tax to be devoted towards paying for the cops. That's not going to happen, even though, candidly, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have opposed that. The problem is, you know, how do you make sure that that money is really being spent on police? But I wouldn't have opposed having a referendum, but that's not the case. So now the mayor's position is, okay, these jobs, they, they got to go. The firefighters got to go. The cop positions have to go. Now, there is this interesting irony because, for example, the Potawatomi tribe that runs the, the hotel and casino downtown, with much fanfare last week, they announced that they were going to, you know, uh, kick in, what, was it $12 million for the, the naming rights for Tom Barrett's Trolley Folly, okay? And they'd take a million dollars and rides would be free for the first year. Now, it is interesting in the mayor's priorities that you would spend that money on naming rights for, what do they call it, the flop? Oh, the hop. 
the hop, the flop, whatever. You know, you okay, you're spend, you get you got somebody that's willing to donate millions of dollars for naming rights for the flop trolley system. You wonder, you know, would you maybe go on to say, hey, you know, for that same amount of money, you can have the naming rights of a half dozen fire stations that we're planning to close. I'm, I'm just that is, it is an interesting priority. Millions for the hop or the flop or whatever, and no, nothing for these these 75 firefighter jobs. The other interesting aspect of this story is that the fire chief, he really hasn't helped the cause a lot because he's essentially coming out and saying, and this is how I interpret it, that we can get rid of these jobs and it's really not going to make that much difference. Um, you know, he said, look, our response times are still going to be faster, even if we shut down these various fire stations that they're looking at, the, these six fire stations. Even if we shut these down, the response times are still going to be faster than the national standard. Okay, we only got a couple minutes, but 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, if I read between the lines and, and listen to what I think the fire chief is saying, he's saying, don't worry, no problem, we can get rid of all these firefighter positions, we can close these engine companies, and it, it's still, we're going to be able to provide adequate services. Now, I guess I have two points on this. Number one, I don't buy this. I, I don't buy this. That's number one. And for example, for people who are in a situation where you you know you, you need to have the fire department there quickly, I'm not sure looking and saying, hey, we're meeting the national service standard, whatever that might be, you know, is going to be something that's satisfactory. That's number one. Number two, if the fire chief is in fact right that you could get rid of all these positions and it's not going to affect service, I guess my question becomes, if that's really the case, what, what what have we been doing with these extra 75 positions for all these years? I mean, if it's not going to affect service, if it's not going to affect the bot, if you can get rid of 75 people and it's not going to affect the bottom line as far as, by service I mean your ability to respond to emergencies or do whatever. Now, I don't buy that. But if that is the case, what's what's going to happen? I mean, why did we have these people in the first place? Now, again, I, I don't accept that premise, but if that premise is correct, if the fire chief is right, this isn't going to be a big deal, well, does that tell me that they've been overstaffed? What's he been doing all this time? You can't have it both ways. You can't say service is going to be adequate without these 75 people with then have, having to answer the question, well, why did we have these 75 people if it wasn't enhancing public safety? 414-799-1620, I happen to think that the fire chief is wrong. I think that if you cut 75 positions, I think this is a disaster waiting to happen. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes. What do you think? I think it's definitely going to slow down response times. There's a lot of things that they don't, that the mayor doesn't say um, in his speech, and he blames us on our pension program. That's why he's got a cut. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are you are you a, are you a retired police officer or firefighter, Jim? Yes. Okay. Which one, firefighter or police officer? Firefighter. Okay. Um, I, okay. So tell me what you think is going to happen if you eliminate these positions. If you eliminate these positions, response times are going to go down. 
because they're going to move firehouses all around. They're going to move them in different places, engines in different places, and they're going to say that logistically by the computer that this is going to work. Right. Which, if if I'm out on a call in one area, uh, and there's another call in that area, where do you think that fire truck's going to come from? A different area. Right. Okay, that's going to slow down the response times a lot. And fire responses, if they cut all these ladder trucks, right now they're talking the two busiest ladder trucks. One of them is the third busiest in the country. Mm -hmm. Okay? In order for you to fight a fire, you have to have ventilation on top. These ladder trucks provide ventilation for the engine crew to go in to release the gases when they open the roof. Now, if, if you don't think that's going to affect firefighting, we're, we're going to be... It's, it's a... It's something, something's going to happen drastically. And, and All right. I, I, I thank you, Jim. I, I, I agree. I mean, this is – I mean, remember we had the story. Let me, let me switch over to police for just a second. I mean, you had the story a couple weeks ago about the family that calls 911 because bullets start flying into their house. Um, it, and it's some evening. They call 911. It takes four, was it four or six hours? I'm off the top of my head now. For, for the police to respond. The 911 dispatcher says, okay, was anybody hit? No. Is there still somebody out there shooting? No. Okay, so then they just, it's, it's four to six hours. I mean, can you imagine that? Bullets go flying into your house. And this is an indictment of the cops. They don't have enough police. They're doing triage. In this particular district on this Saturday night or whenever this was, there were so many other active shooting instances that people had to wait four or six hours whatever that number was for cops to come over and check on bullets that go flying into their house and damn near hit the the i think it was the granddaughter that's in in bed um but because nobody's actually bleeding it doesn't become a priority you mean to tell me you've got enough you mean to tell me you've got enough cops i just don't see it karen in west milwaukee karen you're on 620 wtmj good morning hey good morning i was making the point that it's if they would staff the positions that are open, they would actually be saving money. They don't. What Barrett doesn't bring out, and what people don't realize, is how many extra shifts the firefighters are working. My son is a firefighter, and at the end of last year, they were he and a bunch of his friends were kind of joking back and forth about how many extra shifts they put in. My son put in fifty-eight extra twenty-four-hour shifts in the year. And all of them that they were talking to all had in somewhere between 30 and 50-something. And that's far wow. more costly <laughs> than paying somebody the base rate. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely, because you're paying your son's getting, what, time and a half, I assume, right? Right. Yeah. They, they figure it out strangely, but, yeah, basically. Uh <laughs> Well, I mean, I, get, I mean, thanks for I mean, good, good for the opportunity to make money. But yeah, I mean, because that's the bottom line. Because these things have to be staffed. I mean, obviously, the fire stations have to be staffed, however many there are. Um, firefighters get to take vacations and things like that. Yeah, that will be the interesting thing. Look, and I understand that that the city's got some tough budgetary issues, and that's why. I mean, candidly. If I was in the state legislature, I would have let Tom Barrett, you know, have his referendum on the half-cent tax. I would have tied his hands to make sure that, you know, it would, in fact, get to get spent for fire and police, um, you know, approval. But I, I work. But I, I would have let him end up doing that. But the legislature is not inclined to do it. So now you've got to figure out where your priorities are. But it is an in, in, interesting that we, we've got naming rights for the trolley, millions of dollars, 
and were closing fire stations and laying off cops. Hmm. It is 1154. When we come back, we'll find out what Scafidi and Bill Stat have on their minds. Stick around.